0: The made oh. there. Are they birds'
1: nests, lists? Yeah. Nest. Yes, yeah, they look great. <laughs> so tonight the original title was called Is God Personal? Uh, God's Silence, Unanswered Prayers, and the Loss of Spiritual Experience. Uh, some people, when they heard that title, they were expecting lots of different things. Uh, I guess more appropriately it'd be like Is God in the dark? That's really what I'm wanting to talk about, is God in the dark. And I think it is appropriate um, talk on a Good Friday, uh, which we have tonight. Uh, You know, sometimes we go to a service on a Good Friday and they they want to make sure that you have the good news of Easter when you walk out. Um, And you almost feel uplifted after Good Friday. I don't want us to necessarily feel lifted up sometimes we don't give grief enough time Uh, we did attend a church that uh, that did good friday i would say very well and uh, you know there was people sharing laments and griefs and at the very end this woman came in and she had these kind of hard platform shoes i don't even know what they're called some kind of shoes with hard bottoms on Mm them Uh, and she's just stomp, stomp, stomp on the hardwood, and then she goes, ah. stomp, stomp, stomp. Ah. And she did it over and over until you felt very unsettled. And she got to the front, stomp, stomp, stomp. Ah. The lights went out. The service was over. I thought that they did Good Friday well. <laughs> Because we find ourselves in those moments, and sometimes we feel like we go to the church and we're not allowed to have those moments. So tonight, we're dealing with that.
2: that why you took all our shoes away.
1: <laughs> so you can't run out? <laughs> oh, no stomping tonight. Yeah. No, there's a hardwood floor. If you need to do that during the lecture, that is totally fine. Oh, no stomping. Fine. <clears throat> But I'll tell you that Saturday I prayed hard and that Easter I was very joyful because I took the darkness seriously and I want us to take the darkness seriously. Uh, the Bible takes darkness seriously. You no, know, uh, It was surprising to me. It was the first time I've ever seen it during this Holy Week is when uh, Judas betrays Jesus and He said, Now the Son of Man has been betrayed, and it is the time for the power of darkness. I thought that was a very interesting phrase. I believe that's in Luke. I'm not sure. Uh, So I'm not going to leave us without hope, but I'm not going to diminish the tension of darkness. And I don't think uh, the Bible does either. So when I'm talking about is God personal, I'm saying, can we know that he is with us in the dark? Not just understood objectively as a fact, but is there some way that we can understand it subjectively in our experience? People come to Labrie for all kinds of reasons. Most of the time they've come because of, because of some kind of crisis. Because life has had, you know, when you have the status quo and everything is bumping along and you don't have any serious crises, or you usually don't necessarily ask a lot of questions unless you're of the curious sort. But when hard things happen, it unsettles your life so much that you must take a break. And a lot of people come to Labrie during those times and and they have lots of questions. Uh, People with the loss of... um, of hearing from God or, or knowing what God is doing. I mean, you think of Mother Teresa day in and day out serving the poor and um, the handicapped in Calcutta. And she felt a real distance with God and wrote to the, um, of this to her superiors. Um, does this mean that she didn't trust that God was there? No, she trusted God was there, even though there was difficulty in her subjective experience she had to trust god in his word not just in her emotions or, but what what kind of truths would she have been holding on to uh, people come with uh, questions around singleness and loneliness that is one of the most common issues that happens at Labrie of uh, why am i single and just the burden of carrying that year after year and it seems like there's always hope but sometimes it dissipates, and people carry that, and it's it's very heavy. <clears throat> there's a there's a, a serious uh, loneliness. Loneliness is uh, even been considered an epidemic now. Uh, there's so uh, there's not a lot of community or communal life given, so people feel very alone. Uh, elderlies are often shut in. There's extreme loneliness and people will come here and ask questions around that burden there's infertility there's emotional pain anxiety mental disorders physical pain death so many reasons that people come with questions that have totally disrupted their life and there can be a dull pain of not hearing god for a long period of time a bruise of the heart The medievals called this the dark night of the soul. Now, this dark night might extend for months. It can extend for years. We can grow sullen, depressed, resentful, and angry. We used to feel so alive, but now we feel worse than dead. We feel deadened to the life we see around us. Now, God is personal. The darkness does not have the last word. God speaks. We do have scripture as a testimony of his speaking. We have heard from God in other ways. God provides. He liberated the Israelites after 400 years of hard bondage. He offers liberation for anyone found in Jesus Christ. God comes to us in the flesh in Jesus Christ, in the spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells with our spirits. So we can say God is personal. God has shown himself as a person, not just a force. But this is part of the problem. If God is revealed as personal, why does God not appear personal to me? Am I forgotten, overlooked? Am I not worthy of God's time? So this is the purpose of my lecture, is not to wonder if God can exist if so much pain and suffering exists, but to wonder why the God who reveals himself as personal allows us to experience that pain and suffering. Does God remain aloof to our pain? Does God remain far off when tragedy strikes or when we cry out in the midst of it? As I said earlier, my purpose is not to relieve the tension that we are that we experience maybe in this moment, as I've laid it out for you. And I don't think that does justice to personal struggles, to those questions where our hearts cry out to try to diminish it or answer it in some kind of way. It hangs there. <clears throat> Rather, my purpose is to show how God can be trusted in the midst of our pain and suffering and silence. And I simply want to look at two items, Lament Psalms and Jesus Christ. That's the basic structure of my talk. What are lament? What's lament? And how does that relate to Jesus? And how does God relate to lament? Now, lament is that moment we cry out because life is not what it's supposed to be. It's the most basic definition for lament. We cry out because life is not what it's supposed to be. Something is wrong inside ourselves or in the world around us. Something is terribly wrong. This crying out is part of what it means to have faith biblically. This crying out is a part of what it means to have faith biblically. Lament makes up a third of the Psalms. And it shapes much of the life of worship for Israel, you know Jesus was going into Jerusalem as all the palms are going, and he's crying over Jerusalem. How little crying we do over things. Lament is distinct to crying out um, uh, lament is I'm sorry lament is distinct to the crying out we often find out find in the world lament is. It's different than the crying out. If we look out in the world, where do we have a place to put our cries? Where can we go when life is not what it's supposed to be? Many turn to escapes, drugs, shopping, relationships, new experiences, gaming, so on. You can probably name a few yourself. Others turn toward work and success-oriented tactics. your nose to the grindstone. We want to cloak the pain through escape or success. Yet none of these are able to respond to our cries directly. And often when these fail we turn to cynicism. Tori Amos uh, had a famous song called God. She sings God, sometimes you don't pull through. God, sometimes you just don't pull through. Do you need a woman to look after you? God, sometimes you don't pull through. In that song, she's also asking if God is um, in his convertible with his golf clubs. He's wondering if God is having a good time in paradise, leaving us to suffer. Now, in some ways, this is not too different from the Psalms themselves. where the psalmist cries out, Wake up, O Lord! Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Do you ever feel that bold in prayer to God? But there's a difference between Tori Amos and this psalmist, and it's crucial. In Tori Amos' anger against God, she disbelieves God. She has become cynical. So, what is left for her? She has left shadow boxing, yelling to the dark void. Uh, you might imagine that scene at the end of Garden State, where there's the empty abyss, and they're all screaming at the void. But God is personal. Only if we have a God who can respond personally, and who is personal, do we have a place to go a person to whom we can turn, even with our darkness and with our anger. To turn to God and lament is a part of biblical faith, not the absence of faith. Lament is actually at the heart of faith. Unfortunately, many churches have discarded lament as part of its worship. It wants to proclaim how happy Christians are. But it fails to remind us that not all is well, that all is not well, even as Christians. I mean, if laments make up a third of the Psalms, why do we have so little lament in the church? It becomes worse for those who think that everything is supposed to be well once a person becomes a Christian. When life takes a nosedive, people drop out of church, away from others, away from prayer, away from God. The church has made false promises that Christians suffer quantitatively less than non-Christians. In fact, often the Bible speaks of Christians suffering more. But to say that Christians suffer less or should suffer less is simply untrue and unbiblical. Everyone is capable of suffering and everyone does suffer in one way or the other. The distinct difference for the Christian is what is done in the midst of the pain and the suffering, in the midst of loss. The difference for the Christian is that he or she turns to God in relationship in order to ask why God is not active toward me. Lament is calling out to the God who promises to provide, to do just that, provide. Psalm 31 reads, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Or in Psalm 88, one of the darker psalms. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me. Answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. The place of lament is God himself. What a tragedy when the church fails or refuses to recognize this or to give place to lament. Now let me talk about the shape of this lament. It has uh, this... Um, Orientation of disorientation, turning to God, and then a reorientation. I'll get to that in just a moment. Now, lament has a long-standing place in the biblical faith. It is the experience not just of a few isolated individuals. It is the general experience of God's people, all people, throughout history. It was so common, lament was so common, that it solidified into a shape. A genre all of its own and was canonized in scripture its found it found um, sorry it found its place in scripture because it was not something to hide isn't that remarkable? Lament was so common that it became canonized it became a part of scripture itself. So first, we're faced with a crisis of disorientation, as I mentioned earlier, that people often have status quo and some crisis happens and disrupts it. This is disorientation. Uh, Just as we sit here, the Jewish people thought, well, if I'm righteous and I'm faithful to God, good things should happen. But when they don't, why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? So there's disorientation. The world is not as it's supposed to be, as God promised it to be. We are overwhelmed. We feel like we are drowning. We become anxious. We become alienated by our fears and by our pains. In churches, we are alienated by singleness, infertility, divorce, physical or emotional maladies, death, and so on. Anything that is not the status quo will disrupt. And alienate. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. The Lament Psalm is for any who has experienced the alienation of loneliness, sickness, social difference. People don't like sick, ugly, aging, troubled people. This is why so many paste on false smiles and echo out false laughter. It's the wounded heart's desire to belong. To be accepted and possibly loved. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Lament's true for us as individuals. Lament's true for families. Lament is true for nations. It can be individual or communal. Families in crisis, nations in crisis. One can be in lament for another person, in agony for another person, someone ravaged by illness or by someone's own choices, a a child addicted to drugs, for instance. We carry in our hearts the burdens. This is disorientation. So what are we to do? Where are we to go? We call out to God. And this is the second aspect in the shape of lament. And we call him to be true to his character since you are my rock and my fortress for the sake of your name lead and guide me or in psalm 51 have mercy on me o god according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion we may call out for god to remember his past activity of salvation for others or for ourselves why have you rejected us forever o god Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the people you purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance whom you redeemed, Mount Zion where you dwelt? Or Psalm 22, a psalm that we will hear later on the lips of Jesus. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted in you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. The the psalmist is saying, "God, you have been faithful to someone in distress. This is in your character. May it be so for me." It is out of trust, whether implicit or explicit, that we call on God to act. In Psalm eighty-nine. <clears throat> you have a few verses where it's implied my steadfast love i will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm for him now 89 i think is the darkest psalm people say 88 is i think 89 is because the doxology at the end is not a part of it you have renounced the covenant with your servant you have defiled his crown in the dust How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, for what vanity you have created all the children of man? What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? So it's the shred of vestiges of hope of God's faithfulness that you have seen in the past for others or maybe for others in the present and you call on God to be true to his character for you or for your um, nation. This also can be explicit. We see that in 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. So there's implied hope and explicit hope in God, in calling to God to act on that. So lament cries out to God while at the same time crying out against God. But always in trust that God is the only one who can act, the only one who you can cry out to. Now, In times, God does respond. And so a lot of these lament psalms will end with thanksgiving. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So when he responds, we declare our thanks and praise. Now, I want us to understand that between verse 21 and verse 22 of Psalm 22 can be an enormous amount of time. There can be years between verses 21 and 22. While Thanksgiving may be an appropriate response, it does not mean that it should be an immediate response. Uh, I know so many people who have come through here who are in lament and they keep trying to qualify their lament. Well, God is this and God is that. Lament is a a sure and a sheer cry out to God and it is good to cry out in God, to God. Um, You know, Julia and I um, uh, cried out for five years of infertility. Um, month in and month out, I've spoken of this many times, that Julia would sob once a month for five years. And I felt very helpless. Sometimes I would cry as well. And then we felt that God did hear our cry in this instance. So our son is named Samuel. Yet we had some dear friends who were not answered in the same way. They were never able to have the children. Now, in the knowledge of this, we still give thanks for Samuel. We don't want to be embarrassed or ashamed of Samuel. And we give thanks. At the same time, remembering to lament other things in our lives or for others. Thanksgiving is not a cause to forget lament. One of the deepest pains that we received as a couple is when we were struggling to have children and other people were having children. And we felt continually forgotten, continually forgotten. And, uh, and people would just be so happy that they forgot that we were in lament. They forgot us because things were going well for them again. <clears throat> now Paul says that we are to give thanks in everything. In prayer and petition, in thanksgiving, bring your request to, before God. And when God says, or uh, when the Bible says, thanksgiving in everything, it does mean in everything not just for the good things. So Thanksgiving, we may say, is a part of lament. Or better yet, lament is a part of Thanksgiving. They're not mutually exclusive. So when God does respond to our cries, we respond in Thanksgiving. But what do we do when God has not responded? In direct ways. When God does not respond to a particular cry of the heart, we must wait in trust returning to psalm 73 but when i thought how to understand this it seemed to me a wearisome task until i went into the sanctuary of god then i discerned then i discerned their end uh, so he's he's seeing why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer and most likely the righteous suffering because of the wickedness um, the the wickedness flourishing. So in that sense, uh, this psalmist sees this, is overwhelmed by it, is oppressed by it, and yet has some understanding in the sanctuary. This doesn't mean that he goes into the sanctuary and he sings praise songs and happy songs. That means he goes in there. And he's aware of God he's aware of God um, having all things in His control, and that he trusts in God bringing His promises to bear. Some cries are simply not taken from us. Some deep cries of the heart are not taken from us, and they will not be until Jesus returns. Terminal illness, mental illness, scars of abuse death of a child. It is not until renewed creation with renewed bodies that every tear will be wiped away. Yet as we continue in lament and in trust, we too must not abandon thanksgiving in other areas or for others. Paul says in Romans 12, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This is not just be happy with others who, <laughs> while they're happy and sad when other people happen to be sad. It's, it's a state of being that should be carried along at the same time, simultaneously. So that I can be in true lament um, with another or for, for something in myself and thankful at the same time for different reasons. We carry thanksgiving and sorrow at the same time. Uh, The human heart has this amazing capacity for both simultaneously. And probably more. But thanksgiving in the midst of unanswered um, cries is indicative of that trust in God's promises of that hope. Because lament places its hope in the future action of God maybe in a future immediate, or in the long future, whenever that may be. Psalmists can see lament in the light of the larger picture, globally and historically. The psalmist, often understanding himself or herself in the context of the nation Israel, looks to the promised Messiah when everything will be brought to rights, as we see most fully in Psalm 72. Now, the Psalter is broken up into five books. And at the end of book two, you have Psalm 72, which is the praise of the Messiah coming, bringing every and the anointed king who will bring everything right. Well, the next psalm is Psalm 73, which is lament. And Psalm 2 is really dedicated uh, to the focus of the promised Messiah and the, the promises the Messiah would bring. Book three is, why has that not happened? And that's why 89 is so devastatingly sad because it is God, have you forgot even your covenant, your promises to us? And then book four and five is exile and return. But 72 is that, is that um, hope for the Messiah to come in the midst of their lament, year after year, generation after generation, waiting for God to send his Messiah. And the Messiah will bring everything good. Each person is implied in God's future action in that restoration. In Psalm 72 it says, For the Messiah will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in His sight. So ultimately the Psalms point to God's activity in Jesus Christ, God's Messiah. This we know on the other side of the New Testament. Jesus Christ is God's personal response to sin and injustice, globally and individually. Jesus Christ is God's personal response. I mean this objectively, and I mean this existentially. God's response has been and will be demonstrated in history, and God's response has been and will be demonstrated in um, experience. This is seen in Jesus Christ, who I'm going to turn to now. So God comes to us. God dwells with us in the flesh. God does not speak, speak simply from heaven at some safe distance, but comes in the flesh, humbles himself to be human. You can see that in John 1 and Philippians 2. In John 1, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God heals us. As a part of his ministry, Jesus demonstrates the healing power of God. He heals the blind, the lame, the lepers, and so on. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who has come? Or should we expect someone else? Now they're asking if Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's going to bring about the promises of Psalm 72. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. God has responded personally in Jesus Christ. Yet, this is not the whole story. Jesus subverts the expectations we have of God and how he responds to us in person. God does not do what we imagine he would do. For instance, Jesus does not heal everyone. Consider his actions in John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid, an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? In the midst of all these people disabled by blindness, by lameness, and by paralysis, those whom Jesus came to restore, Jesus only heals one. He does not even heal the one with most faith. He simply chooses to heal one and not to heal the many others. I want to be careful here. I want you to understand clearly. We cannot see this as Jesus loving one and not loving the others. Healing does not imply that one is loved while the others are not. That's something that we really got to, got to grab a hold of. Because more, most importantly, Jesus does not in the end heal himself. Something else is going on. In all the accounts of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus is met with mockery, in accusations that he is not who he says because he does not heal himself. He's disbelieved because he does not heal himself. In Matthew it reads, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests... The teachers of the law and elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Like the enemies found wagging their fingers and tongues and mocking the righteous in the lament psalms, they stand here mocking Jesus. However, with God's Messiah, we expect something different to come about. If he truly were the Christ, he would heal himself. If someone is able to do something, especially if that person is able to do a good thing, why withhold it? Would it not be wrong not to do it this is the dilemma we face with god why does god not respond when he is able yet here in the darkest moment we see jesus refraining from what he is able to do instead of healing himself what does he do he cries out in lament he uses the very laments that i've been quoting from from the Psalms, to express the grief he bears on the way to the cross. He uses them to express the trust he has in God. Even though he has the power to heal himself, he instead places his trust in his Father. Now Jesus felt pain, he was not superhuman. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to his closest disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Yet his friends do not even sympathize. The friends can't sympathize, and isn't this often the case with our own struggles? It seems that nobody quite understands. On the way to the cross, Jesus grieves, and he's abandoned by his closest relationships. They cannot understand, and they forsake him. They scatter. So on the cross... He abides in faith through lament. The Gospel writers continue to shape the account of the cross in order for us to see this. They show Jesus' disorientation, his crisis, yet they also show his innate trust in God to provide. So, quoting Psalm 22, he cries out in dereliction, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later in John 19, verse 28, reflecting on two lament psalms, it reads, Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. That line is from a a lament psalm. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. That's another lament psalm, quoting another lament psalm. Then with his final breath, with complete trust in God, yet reflecting another lament psalm, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. In the end, Jesus laments, without seeing the provision for thanksgiving on the cross. This, there is no easy transition. That thanksgiving of lament does not come until Jesus passes through death, until the resurrection, when only the darkest lament then comes to make sense. So what? What are we to think of our lives and of our struggles in relationship to God if Jesus did not heal himself and if Jesus lo- used laments for his own deepest griefs? What are we to make of that? Although Jesus had the eyes to see what we cannot, um, for unlike Jesus we are marred by sin, marred in our knowledge and understanding of God's purposes, Jesus still expresses his own anguish in lament. Lament is not discarded. Instead, Jesus picks it up as the appropriate expression to God. Where then does this leave us? Lament is not to be discarded, but appropriate for us who follow Jesus. Lament has been reshaped by Jesus. It's not discarded, it's reshaped. Jesus did not put an end to lament, to this disconnect between God's promises and our present experiences um, of the consequences of sin and death. Rather, Jesus filled out the vision of how we are able to see ourselves in that pain. No longer do we hope, as the people of the Old Testament, that God will respond from some holy distance from Zion, but know that God has already responded by coming amongst us. In our lament, in, in our laments, in our struggle to know where God is in our lives, we can hold to knowing that God suffers with us. Sympathetic to all our weaknesses. And to the one who accomplishes God's purposes through suffering. For Jesus suffered for us. God suffered for us. God has suffered with us. God suffers with us. In Hebrews 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. But it goes beyond just Jesus on the cross. Even after the resurrection, Jesus has risen in his triumph over death and disease. Jesus sends the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit groans. The Spirit groans in lament alongside with us the spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in the accordance of god's will so not only has jesus lamented and used lament as appropriate response to sin and death and suffering but that god has given himself to do this, to suffer with us, and has given us the Holy Spirit to perpetually groan with us. The Spirit is groaning with us. God continues to suffer with us. Now, it remains a mystery why God leaves us in our pain and suffering. But it also remains a mystery why God would join us in it and to work through it rather than just you know erasing it or throwing it away. So this is where I end. This may not be entirely satisfactory. We don't necessarily just want assurance. We want fulfillment. However, like Peter, after hearing the difficulty of following Christ, responding to Jesus' question on if they would follow him or not, I believe we must say with Peter, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Okay, so there's some time for some conversation or reflection on this Good Friday.
0: I <laughs> <up> <laughs> Thought it was the spirit that slew, slew you. So mm-hmm. no, so if you said this already, please forgive me. But um, but at the beginning of the talk, you said that um, let me see if I can exactly. But you're talking about it not just being not just being knowledge, um, like our relationship with God or something like that. Not just being knowledge, but it's personal and it's mm-hmm. like um, not just objective but subjective. Yes. And so so I'm just wondering, so lament is not like lament is like an action more than it's really like an experience of God. Like there's not really like, cause it feels kind of one sided in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you try, it's an action of trust, but not, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, so I'm just wondering, um, how mm-hmm. that, how that subject, what that subjective experience of God looks like in grief or like what should one expect
1: (laughs) yeah that's good um so yeah i do mean that god is personal to us objectively and subjectively now it's not hard for us to think that god is subjectively with like objectively we say god died for our sins uh and we hope in the resurrection and there may be moments we are happy and life is good and we say god is so close uh and we associate happy times with God's closeness and with darkness as God's distance. Uh, so, in the happy times, we have the objective truth with the subjective experience. Now, we would say, well, objectively, I hear that I have my, I, I see that God has provided for people and that he has lamented. Objectively, I get it. Uh, it's interesting to me that we don't make the same bridge to the subjective and i think it's because there is a disorientation that god is not being honored uh and glorified in the way that things should be and in our participation in that but i'm trying to say that there is a subjective experience in that we are not lamenting alone uh one god has expressed grief over and over in the bible uh he actually is grieving with us. And so when we grieve uh, the disorder of the world, we are not alone. He's grieving with us. He grieves it too. The problem is, is, well, why aren't you doing something about it? That's the problem that we have. But he's actually grieving alongside with us. Uh, and I point, and I point to the 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 culmination or the climax of that in Jesus Christ, who's on the cross, who's crying out in lament, and that he, that, you know, it's not as if God says, okay, I made you, I get it. Things are hard. I can objectively understand that. God has such an intimate relationship with creation. He experiences the grief. But more than that, um, or along with that, whatever is more appropriate, is that Jesus took on flesh, took on human existence in its suffering, and that he is on the cross precisely because of disorder, disorientation, and has taken that on in in his experience. Um, uh, At least something that we can say that, um, that we can understand that God has not remained aloof like, you know, like Allah, who who cannot be a part of the created order. So you have this sense that God has come in our midst and grieves with us. And that's the mystery to me: is that uh, when I, I hear tragic stories, unspeakable horrors of people who sit with me, and and this is how this lecture came about. I found that there was only one response that I could that I felt. What's true and adequate to them, and that Jesus has suffered with them, and that suffer, and that Jesus continues to suffer with them, within their un- unspeakable horrors. Uh, I mean, it's shocking to me that Jesus would choose to come down. Why would God not just wipe away the horrors? He doesn't just he doesn't wipe away the horrors. He enters into the horrors and takes them onto himself, so he is experiencing them with us. Uh, so when we when we cry out and lament, we are actually being godly. We are we are side by side with what God is already doing. Uh, so yes,
2: is is lament then sort of part of a new creation? Could you lock it into that?
1: I would say no. Okay. Uh, I would say that lament is an appropriate response. Uh, it's a it's a godly response to a world that is disordered, but lament will be gone in the new order. Yeah,
2: I, I see that. Yeah. But if we're not lamenting this creation, then we're sort of acquiescent to it.
1: Absolutely, we're
2: buying in. We're we're signing the contract. Yeah, it's bad, but okay, I'll go. With That's it. right. <laughs> yeah,
1: at least I have my little luxury yeah, items. Yeah, I get
2: the big screen TV. Right. Yeah. That's right. It. So. That's what I'm trying sort to of leaving. I'm not—I'm not sort of yes. uh, saying it, you know, conclusively. I'm just saying
1: if we I didn't see. lament this, then it would
2: never—we'd be in it forever, eternity.
1: Hmm. What do you sense. mean by that?
2: Let, let me, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's fine. Just throwing it out.
1: That's fine. I like this.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, we're signing covenants on into this kingdom all the time, yes. and if we're not lamenting. Or entrapment, or you know, why did I do that? Mm. Then nothing can change, mm. so maybe so you have to walk that's
1: right. It. I do think that lament is that call for the recovery, yeah, that's what I'm trying it's to say. It's the call for the recovery, yeah. And it is, uh, if we don't lament, then we are not bringing it to reorder to fruition, that's yeah. right, yeah. because orientation. Because Lament Psalms are, there's orientation as a background. This is the way the world should be. And the world is when everything is working great. But then there's disorientation. Mm -hmm. But the result of the Psalm is not to go back to orientation, but to move through disorientation to reorientation. Moving from the garden to the new garden city, Mm -hmm. it moves through Lament. And somehow Lament has added to the texture of that though God has not desired lament to be a part of it. So I do think that lament is a part of saying, this is not right, and we can't be restored without it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I'll go with that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look, Jesus, otherwise Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. Exactly. So, I mean, God could have just said, okay, Adam and Eve, you screwed up. Yeah. Uh, And unspeakable horrors are going to happen throughout history. Let's just wipe it off the chalkboard and start start all over. In the mysteries of God's creation, He said, "No, I will not abandon it, and I will have to deal with what has come about." He can't just wipe it away. He has to enter. He in- he chooses to enter into it, and to recover it, he has to enter into it.
2: I think too that for the people that do lament, it's a it's more than a head knowledge about sin or transgression it's mm. it's 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 in the core that's right so yes. when they go into the position of in my opinion of a kingdom rulership they're they're not playing with theoretical concepts like at a university you know? <laughs> no 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 the, this is what this does and i'm wiping it out that's right yes you know, it's yeah. a no-go here it's not <laughs> going to happen that's
1: right, it um, removes the ivory tower.
2: Here, eat the apple, it's going to be good for you. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. You know, so, mm. Yeah, that's why I think it's heavy because we're being trained in the lamenting in that structure. Mm. We're being trained for, you know, you know, basically SS troops here.
1: Yeah, so, well, I think that lament has, um, uh, it. it leads us into the depth of reality. Yeah. And I don't think that we can understand the depth of goodness. So when when Job is in complete lament over his life, devastation comes to him because of his righteousness. Yes, exactly. Lament comes into his life. And, um, and in the end, God says, OK, I will speak to you and you answer me. And Job is basically asking, why is there so much pain and suffering in creation? Why is there evil in creation? And God's response basically is, to put it in a nutshell is you can't even understand the goodness. You can't understand the depth of goodness of my creation. How can you understand its corruption? Mm. Uh, And so I think that we often live in a very superficial touch of the depth of reality. I mean, that's true because we're just simply finite. But I also think it's true because we're sinful. Uh, Our knowledge is marred. And lament leads us to understand more fully what reality is made of That's true yeah yeah we're we're
2: we're, we're surface dwellers in all things
1: we are yeah. and we tried to stay there yeah.
2: and Job entered into the no snow cone, you know, so <laughs> yes. going. yes after his you know training i don't think anything would have turned him from the understanding yes you know because mm-hmm. he paid the price
1: mm-hmm yeah, I think that he was reoriented to his new family. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, a literally thing. a new family. Yeah, know. literally. Yeah, yeah he yeah. was not given the old family back. Exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. So that's the newness. Oh so, yeah, I think it's all good. Yeah. Mm. Maybe not going through it because I've gone through it, but mm. it's the other side. Yeah. Maybe you have to keep that in mind at all times.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope of the new creation yeah. where it says that um, healing in the leaves and like every tear away. Yeah. And I like C.S. Lewis. He said that um, it's not just that the old order will just be forgotten, oh, yeah. but that all things bad will be restored to their good, mm. that um, that nothing will be lost. The
2: restoration of all things. Of all things. and yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Good. Yeah, lay it on us.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts? Just basking in the goodness of Friday?
3: <laughs> you were talking about early on, um, the extent of the, uh, the the people of Israel, uh, lamenting, for example, 400 years in the wilderness and uh, um, the, a barren life where God seemed distant from them. And uh, I, I, I one, I, the thought occurred to me as you were talking on that area was I, I wonder if other peoples, not the Jews, um, of, of past eras, Uh, would find themselves uh, more of a lamenting people and that then led me to immediately say well what about today is the society that we live in today one thoroughly disapproving of lamenting Uh, it's not what we want for our lives and therefore we will put it on the back burner and we'll pretend it's not there Lamenting doesn't come readily to our society today. And mm. I think you were implying that it did come readily to the people of Israel years ago.
1: So uh, so let me understand if I have this question right. You're saying that uh, I said that Israel had lament um, readily.
3: Ex- expressed it readily.
1: Expressed it readily, where our culture does not. Mm-hmm. I would, agree with,
2: illness in our country.
1: I would yeah. agree with that. I yeah. would agree
2: with that.
1: Classify it anyway. I think there's lots of cynicism and sentimentality in our culture. I think there's lament because the world, whoever you ask, no one thinks that the world is as it should be. There's something wrong. Okay? Uh, the solutions or the reasons why will vary. Uh But often what happens is, lament will be squeezed out sideways. Um, Marches, social justice marches, uh, overthrowing governments, uh, vigilante justice, school shootings. These are all laments. These are not just acts of mental disorder. I think there is mental disorder involved. Uh, But there is something that, it's not just just why we lament, but I think those are also expressions of lament. Uh, You know, Francis Schaeffer saw the riots in Berkeley in the 60s as lament, and he said justifiably so. Uh, I think lament comes out in a variety of ways. Mm. People have always felt oppression, repression, injustice, internally, externally. Individually, corporately, uh, but the type of lament that um, is in the Bible, I believe, is unique because you believe that the one who holds it all, and the one who has created it all, and judges it all, and can redeem it all, is the one who we cry out to. That changes the stru- that changes the structure. It gives it it gives it its avenue.
2: I think it's a bit like, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, Paradise Lost, we, we know mm-hmm. something is lost, we just don't know exactly what it was, mm-hmm. and all the novels are The Return of the King, and <laughs> you know, so we, so we, we know that we're looking, and yes. who are we looking for, mm-hmm. so it, I think we know it in our culture, but we mm-hmm. can't express it, because mm-hmm. yeah. it's, we're, we're, we're sens- desensitised, that's the word for that, mm-hmm. and, uh, but we should be lamenting, we should be crying, You know, that that should be our natural state because we had one thing and now we have this. And we're being paid off with little politics like uh, hockey night.
1: (laughs) Uh, Right, yeah.
2: People go, who won the game? (laughs) Who cares? Okay, it's a big deal to you. It is a
1: big deal until real crisis hits. And then you think, well, what is the point?
2: False lament like you were talking about you know, or inappropriate lamenting. Mm-hmm. But then they get us to act out like that. Here, lament over this. Yes. Your mm-hmm. movie star has died or mm-hmm. this happened or, you know, they shot this type of person just
1: That's right. And often it's so easy to lament for something that isn't a distant, but then the person who is next door, who's suffering death, you're just like, uh, you know,
2: save all the children. (laughs) in That's right. (laughs) It's easier to
1: care for people in Africa than it is to care for the neighbor. It's so often true
0: that's reminding me of um, a lecture I heard when I was in Boston there's the city archivist who came and talked oh. and she was talking about um, responses to tragedies because she archived all the items that were left like as memorials um, after the the bombing of the, mar- in the marathon there mm-hmm. and so she was just saying like how a response to those tragedies is often very sentimental and like you know all the teddy bears and the flowers and all those yeah, things. yeah and it kind of it kind of detracts from like the reality of what happened because people just kind of pile mm. all this like sugar on it kind of saw the
2: meaningless of the end yeah maybe they are the heart
0: but you know right. mm. so i think it's like that on one side and then i was actually thinking of um alan de baton mm-hmm. talking about the wailing wall maybe you can yes. explain that better than mm-hmm. i can but that seems like the other side of it kind of of the two approaches people might take you know.
1: yeah well with alan de baton he is an atheist uh who wants to reintroduce religious practices in order to help society. And he looks to religious practices as helping us corporately, communally. And so he said, the Jewish people have the wailing wall where they're able to come together and stick pieces of paper in there. And he said, uh, okay, if God does not exist, are we bellowing out to an empty sky? Yes, that is the sad reality, but at least we're weeping together. And he said, so his idea is that maybe there should be a digital wailing wall where we can tweet all our despair and suicidal thoughts. So instead of... Yeah, it's called Facebook. (laughs) True. That's funny. (laughs) What He said, what was um, for God alone in these pieces of paper stuck in the wailing wall can now be seen by everybody.
0: But that's impersonal, right? Like, that's really impersonal. You're left with
1: impersonal. Uh, Well, I mean, you have the identity of the group. But, but uh response. but there is not often a personal response
2: yeah. this lady here, you said you were from Boston.
0: Well, I spent a year, a year in
2: Boston well, um, you're North American, right yes yeah if you if you read uh, you know the 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 American Civil War, if you read the letter from Sullivan Ballou to his wife, yes, just before the battle, I think it was Kelly. you know the letter right? Yes, I do. Make you cry Absolutely. No, that's lamenting pre-lamenting yes. Yeah, he's still alive, and he writes that this letter should find you when I'm dead, yeah. and something flitters by you, and he says, I can't remember it. Yeah. It's just beautiful. <laughs> and this was just a soldier. We've lost so much. Mm. Mm. The tenderness that they used to write to each other is beyond comprehension.
1: Well, I think that they meant had... to men,
2: I'm not talking necessarily men to them, just mm-hmm. the way they used to it show affection for each other in words
1: that's true and uh and i think that it wasn't a sentimental letter it was a true no, loving true that's, that's loving
2: what i mean uh, uh, i wish i did have a copy of it one time yeah, it's really quite beautiful it'd be nice on the wall it's beautiful
1: yeah well death was all around them and yeah, so yeah. death was a reality yeah, and for right. us it usually just happens on yeah. movies and video games
2: majority of men and a lot of villages just yeah. totally disappear so if you want lament it yes. uh, and i think they handle that and Mm. I think America, as a society, stayed, stayed true to who they were for a long time because of that. But it was a tragedy. It's a, we're paying too high a price for what we mm. what was given. And it would be, it, this is, yeah. Uh, I'll shut up now for a second. No, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, but there's good, it's good examples out there. The American Civil War is a great example of a lot of stuff, like. How we should interact with each other. What was actually going on? The big mm-hmm. picture, the mm-hmm. big game that was going on. The European powers yeah. interfering. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Church and state. What was that? Yeah, state? lots of lessons to learn from oh, the Civil that's War. That's what I mean. Yes. They, you, you could give, uh, mm-hmm. you know, lectures on that night after night of the meaning of it. And, you know,
1: China, oh, the yeah. Oh, next series. And it's tower man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In Africa, they, they actually will have professional mourners mm-hmm. yeah, and they will come along and wail and cry and it actually helps people grieve um, because they're stuck in the deadness. In the I think deadness the Jews well. have that too.
2: The, the mm, Jews have that You used to. Oh, I didn't? The know. Irish had
1: it too. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, was not professional drinkers. <laughs> 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 it makes them up. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, that, I think... I'm, I maybe mentioned this before in discussion period of the lecture, but it really struck me recently when I was reading it uh, just about like I think it was whose death was it? Jacob's death, I think. And like all the Egyptians go they go on this long journey and they're all weeping and they're fasting and like yeah. the whole it's like the whole country is basically mourning oh. <laughs> for his death and it's like, Huh, yeah, we really don't do that anymore, you know? And it's like
2: we might have uh, for Abraham Lincoln actually. That was that was close yeah. to to that type of yeah. outpouring. Yeah. You know, Princess
1: that. die.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. But again, it was kind of that sentimental response, you know. It was. Yeah. Like, That's true. And and who? Yeah, yeah.
1: But not a hero's death. <laughs> right. Not quite the same. <laughs> and
0: way. of course, Mother Teresa died at the same time, and, <laughs> and who really knew what her life was like? Mm. Yeah. Was not, yeah.
1: Any other comments?
0: I'm just going to say about the, sort of the service circling here that if you don't have it lament is an outlet but if you s- get stuck in that um disorientation phase yes i mean that's i think where we have a lot of problems in our society today i mean there's the problem of not lamenting and that's one thing but yes. then lamenting and not coming out to the next stage mm. is there is there a way to help direct people to that you know that yeah. turning
1: to god yeah, prolonged lament is very difficult. Did you want to say something more? No. Yeah, uh, and I speak about that. Um, I, th- I think it's important that people need to know that some lament is something that they will carry for the rest of their life. Like the death of the child. Like We had a family recently come and experience the death of their 10-year-old son. Tragic death and they will and should lament that for the rest of their life. But it should not mean that uh they should not be able to do anything else. I think of uh CS Lewis's The Great Divorce where the the mother uh once she loses her child refused to change uh the room that where her son was, Michael I believe his name was, and her and she basically eroded and controlled all her friendships and all her family over her lament like everything was sucked into this vortex of her sorrow now it's legitimate that she has sorrow deep deep sorrow but when it becomes a point and and the angel is confronting her and said uh, uh, you did not love your son she goes how can you not say i didn't love my son like and he goes but well you you loved your son so much and uh, like to a point where you were not, not loving nothing else, which indicated that you were idolizing your son, not loving your son. And uh, and so she needed to come to that breaking point of saying, "Oh, I see that I did wrong." And she refused. So when I was saying that, sometimes in amidst our Thanksgiving, when things do happen well, we need to remember not to forget to lament. We should always be crying for the kingdom to come. At the same time, when we're in lament, we shouldn't forget to be thankful for others. And I think that that helps us understand that life is not just about one sorrow, or even a lifelong sorrow, or lifelong sorrows, um, that they are to be carried along other things with Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, it was difficult, I remember, but I honestly felt thankful when I saw other couples having babies. I was like, I'm thankful for that. I really wish I could have that, but I am thankful that they have that. That is a gift. But I don't want to, but if I am in such prolonged lament and that, so I think that that's a way of kind of ameliorating or trying to um, help people out of just prolonged bouts and going into the vortex uh, to know how to handle that lightly. And the second, of course, is to trust that God will bring all things about if not immediately, into the distant future, that we can trust that. And so I I believe that when, if I'm in prolonged periods of lament, yet I am still thankful for when God does bless others, is indicative of the trust I have in God. Indicative of the hope I have in Him to restore all things eventually. Even if I don't have that now, will not have that now.
2: And if the couple knew your situation, they'd uh, know. They'd wonder about the hope that's in you, and I think that's what mm-hmm. we're supposed to reflect too. That's true. And another point I was thinking when you were saying that, I used the Hebrew name Yeshua when he was on the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't heal himself, but he, he healed the. the By sacred.
1: his wounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were healed.
2: Yeah, and and the, that too. Thank you. Uh, but the the two. If were on the cross, oh, yes. but he basically healed the one that was to be. Uh, I'll see you in paradise. That's right. So he was healed. That's so right. He didn't. He, it wasn't about. It wasn't all about him. Uh, but I think that's what I'm trying to say.
1: That's good. And yeah. you know, uh, it's amazing. Uh, there's a wonderful lecture by Dick Kies called. Um, you might know it. Basically, it's uh, being aware of others. Yeah aware of others and so what Jesus in the midst of on the cross Mm -hmm. suffering he could easily say look at me look at how bad I'm suffering Mm -hmm. all because of you Mm -hmm. you know this martyr complex but Jesus does not do that what he says is uh, to his mother woman this is your son to John this is your mother he's reconstituting a family he's thinking about their needs in the moment of his greatest crisis it's amazing that he's able to be aware of someone else in the midst of his own suffering, in the midst of his own lament. So that's, that's a very it's, good point. It's tremendous. Mm-hmm.
2: If you think about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Look at me, I'm having a bad hair day.
1: And that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have any bad hair days.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all, you know. <laughs> we need a, a I'm talking about myself, we need, we need a good dose of reality to, to really understand a lot of this. See, mm-hmm. the, I think the bible the true understanding for are, it are for the the wounded and the sorrowful and mm. the people that don't do well in this system yes. you know because they can they're the ones who can understand the true ramifications of it that i get anyway
1: yeah. yeah yeah often when you're on top you're not questioning the system you're not, system you know, you're not asking
2: out yeah. yeah my theory is if you want to ruin a society make it affluent. <laughs> so, yeah
4: doesn't necessarily help it. That's I'm not right. against it, yeah. it doesn't yeah. necessarily help it. Yeah. You know, no. it Give
1: it all the goodies. That's right. Economic growth is not always good growth.
4: No. Yeah. Something interesting about lament on top of all of this is perhaps that lament can be evangelistic. Hmm. Uh, what I mean by that is just a very practical story. Uh, you may have heard of Ajit Fernando with Youth for Christ. He's the director of Youth for Christ in uh, Sri Lanka. And when the tsunamis happened... He called the entire nation to lament mm. and read psalms of lament and was able mm-hmm. to chaplain a nation in their sorrow Wow and it was just unbelievably powerful because it just turned people's heart to the God who hears and the God who is here in the midst of the storm in the midst of the crisis that's amazing So Lament as evangelism is a whole other layer that it's, it's uh, you don't usually think of you know good gospel is good news. Mm. Least into that is the good news is only as good as the bad news is bad and how do we walk through that together
1: yeah i mean we were just talking about how so many don't have the conduits for lament but they have the the resources of lament in the sense Mm -hmm. of what i mean is they have lots of reasons to lament but they don't know where to put it yeah and uh and how wonderful it is if christians would be able to step in instead of just saying you know, believe in Jesus, be happy, Mm. or to become a better you or anything like that, but to say, look, Christians are well acquainted with grief. Mm -hmm. And this is how you carry grief. Well, I think that that would be a benefit to many, to nations. That's wonderful to hear. Okay. Well, let's end there. If you want to keep chatting, we can. But um, for those who want to leave, are able to as well. So, thank you.
3: Thanks, yeah. mm-hmm. you. Thank mm-hmm. you.